get our Bibles out uh, here this morning. And uh, we're going to be in two places today. Bailey, give me a knock me down just a wee bit, if you will. And uh, I want to say before we get started here this morning, um, special thanks uh, to, um, let's see if I get myself connected there, cool. Special thanks to uh, Brother Kelton and uh, everyone uh, for uh, the work uh, they did and uh, filling in the pulpit. I know it wasn't easy. Um, I, uh, we, we've, he and I have talked quite a bit since we were away, uh, just kind of keeping in touch of, of what's going on, and that's been a blessing. And um, and it was a good it was good for him to get the experience. I believe in all of my heart, and uh, I think it'll help you out. It may serve every one of you good uh, to spend a month behind the pulpit. Amen. And uh, may uh, may appreciate things a little bit more. But nonetheless, uh, I do want to thank everyone for for what's transpired since we have been gone. And uh, looking forward, we're glad to be back. I'll tell you that much. Um, we uh, it was a good trip. It's a busy trip. Can't say that I'm I'm well rested. Uh, we were on the road quite a bit. We did get a few days that were considered uh, holiday days, I guess, uh, a few days here and there. But other than that, um, it, was, it was quite busy. But nonetheless, it's good to be here, amen. And uh, God's opened up a lot of doors, and I'm thankful for that. He's answered a lot of prayers over the past four weeks, and I'm very thankful for that. So this morning, let's go ahead. I want to bring a message to you today titled, The Soon Coming Harvest. Now, I realize it's the Lord's Table. But it's also today, today is harvest day. So day one of October, uh, we're, gonna, you know, we're looking at that harvest. And I know we always have a couple of Sundays where people pick and choose. I'm choosing this one here because I've already got uh, some messages and thoughts that I want to bring over the next Sunday. And I wanted to tie this together with the Lord's table and why it's so important for us to look at it in that manner. So we're going to be in two places, Matthew in chapter 9. And then if you will, go ahead and put a finger or a bookmark in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, and only verse 26 that we're going to look at to start with. And uh, we'll get into the rest of the verses here as we move forward. But in Matthew chapter 9, as Andy has already read so eloquently this morning, the Bible tells us in verse 37, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, guys, we understand that Jesus Christ uses this same phrase here a couple of times in the Gospels. And one of the most popular areas that Jesus Christ mentions of this is in John chapter 4. And where he says that, he says that you know, say ye not that there's four months yet for the harvest. And we're not going to look at John 4, I'm just going to use it as an illustration. But when the Lord was teaching his disciples as they went into Samaria, he was teaching them, listen, I understand that there's four months for the agricultural uh, harvest. That, you know, but say not that the harvest is four months away, for the harvest is ripe already. It's white under uh, being ripe already. And when those those Sicarians, if you will, when they came out into the city for the, because of the words of that, that dear lady at the well, that Jesus, we would say, go ahead and won to the Lord, they come running out to seek that Messiah. And as their culture was, they wore that white turban. So the Lord took away from the, the harvest of the wheat and the corn and this and that, and he focused on the harvest of people. Of people, and he said, "But the laborers are few." And so, the, when we see this edition here in Matthew chapter nine, uh, he looks at it, and he it comes off the back of verse thirty-six, saying that he saw the multitudes, and he was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, 
The harvest is plenteous. Look around you. The souls are here. The people are here. Okay? Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest, and he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse uh, 26, the Bible tells us there, as we have partaken in the Lord's table, and again, we'll go back and forth between these two passages of Scripture this morning, but when we're told, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So the Lord's table, or the Lord's supper, whichever you want to refer it to, it's also, uh, it's known as it was instituted on the night in which the Lord was betrayed. It was in that evening when the Lord took bread and broke it, uh, and he followed the same manner by the, the cup or the juice, giving instructions on what uh, the disciples should do. It became a, uh, both a memorial of his broken body and his perfect sinless blood that will be shed. That will be shed for us and our what? Our souls. That takes us back to when the Lord says, Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest, okay? There's a harvest, guys, of souls that we're looking for. He says there in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And I mean, we would want this to echo for eternity. And friend, the Lord's Supper is not a, sacri- a sacrament. The Lord's table is not a sacrament, but it is an ordinance that God has commanded us to keep for this particular purpose to show his death, to show what is needed to win those souls for the great and wonderful soon coming harvest. And that's where I want us to focus here this morning, if we will. The soul that partakes in this Lord's table is to be a saved, born-again individual. It is an outward sign of an inward conversion showing our Savior's death. It is not to become a ritual. It is not something that should be partaken in regular practice uh, or common practice, if you will, making it something that is common. But the Lord's table is an ordinance that's given to the local church uh, for us to obey until that time of his return in the air. After that, guys, after that, what we need to understand, uh, it is all done with. There'll be no more partaking of the, of the Lord's table, nor the memorization of his death. You understand? So the first thing that I want us to look at before we get into the harvest aspect, I want us to look at an element of rule. An element of rule. In verse 26, we're, we're told here to show the Lord's death till he Come, we are to remember his cross, we are to remember his suffering, his broken body, his perfect blood that was shed for our sins. But there is a time limit that we are able to to do that. Here's what I want you you to understand, and this is what I want you to get a hold of, and this is what's going to tie into the, the harvest aspect of it here in just a little bit. What I want you to think about today is that we only have this life. And now, it doesn't matter today necessarily how old you are, but from the time that you got saved, and for each time that you partook in the Lord's table, and I'm going to say partook of it worthily, meaning that your mind was clear, your conscience was clear, you had made your confession of sin unto the Lord, you had a clean slate, if you will, you're able to do those things. From that time forward, guys, you show that Lord's death till He come. This is the only opportunity you have to do that in this world here today. The only time that we get to show his death by our own choosing and free will to partake in the Lord's table is whilst we are on this earth. For the moment that we pass away or the Lord returns in the air when that harvest time occurs, this time is over with. You say, well, that's a blessed and wonderful event. Sure, it's a blessed and wonderful event. But let me ask you a question. How marvelous today, how marvelous today was it for the thief on the cross who got saved? Amen? That was a blessing, wasn't it? It was a tremendous aspect. It was wonderful for him to get saved on that cross, wasn't it? 
The other thief on the cross who mocked Jesus Christ out, he went to hell. The other, the one that, that confessed unto Jesus, the one that said, remember me, the Lord said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. That is a blessing, is it not? But what is it not a blessing of? It's a blessing of what he missed out on. It's, it, it's not a blessing of the fact of what he missed out on in the life that he was given. What I'm saying to you today that the life that we're given is the only opportunity we have to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in this world to a lost and dying nation. It's the only opportunity we have to witness to those lost souls who are part of that harvest. It is the only opportunity we have to attend the local church, to give of the offerings, to pay our tithes, to support missions, to do the things that God has commanded us to do in this earth right here. Okay? When your days and your time is up, when that element rule is applied into your life, you will never again be able to do the things that God has commanded us to do. And, I, and I, I get it, man. I realize that when the Lord comes back, we're going to rejoice. We're going to holler. We're going to hoop. It's going to be a great and wonderful thing. But for every time, everything that we miss to do on this earth, that's not going to be the great part. We'll see that at the judgment seat. But there is an element of rule till he come. We only have this life to partake in the ordinance that he's given us and granted us in this life. Now, the Lord's table comes from the institution in Matthew 26 when Christ broke bread, and he did so that, to symbolize what would happen. And we break bread today in symbolism of what has happened, do you understand? He was, he was professing what was going to happen. We today are proclaiming what has happened. And it's not to happen again unless we be guilty of trotting underfoot the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Just a little foundation on that thought, guys. We know in Hebrews in chapter uh, 10, the Bible tells us uh, of how, more, how much sore punishment, so, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, worthy who hath trodden under foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was, he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Every time someone teaches or exercises uh, uh, what is known as transubstantiation, which is a created event by the Catholic institution, it is 100% heresy and false doctrine. It is paganism that for this cracker over here that's inside of a plastic tube to magically you know, become the flesh of Jesus Christ. Number one, it's against Scripture for that to happen. And, but number two, if it did turn into flesh, it's against Scripture for you to partake in eating flesh of a human. Amen? And to drink the blood. Both of those are paganistic aspects. They are anti-scriptural, both Old Testament and New Testament. So that doctrine and that teaching is wrong. But just to make it all clear, Paul puts in here in Hebrews chapter 10, talking about a sorer punishment of trotting underfoot uh, the Son of God. Paul speaks in the wilderness of those that were walked for 40 years in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 and said, did all drink of the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Okay? They murmured for water, and guess what? The Lord gave them water. We find in Exodus 17 in verse 6, Behold, I will stand before thee, and there, uh, there upon the rock of it in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And we remember that. They're all complaining, they're murmuring, they're arguing. We, you know, we don't have any water, we don't have this and that. And so, you know, the Lord instructs Moses the first time to smite the rock, did he not? And he says, and water's going to come out of a rock. And you say, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. Water coming out of a rock, you know? And, um, but there, again, they did the same thing years later on. And we find this event in Numbers in chapter 20. 
It says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thy rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak unto the rock. What did it say? Speak unto the rock. Ain't no more smiting. Amen. The rock was smitten one time. Who is the rock a picture of? Actually, the, the rock was being very literal in 1 Corinthians 10, 4. But that rock is a picture of Jesus Christ, who was smitten upon the cross of Calvary one time. And for once and for, guess what? All. So that kind of nails the Calvinist right there now, doesn't it? If Jesus Christ died once and he died for all, amen, then there ain't no chosen frozen election out there. It does not work that way, amen? If you want to be saved and born again, you can be saved and born again by accepting Jesus Christ according to his free will right here, right now, today. You can do it online. You can do it over there. It's that simple today, amen? He says, speak unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt... And thou shalt bring forth to them the water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts to drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord, watch this, as he commanded him. And then in verse 10 he says, before the rock. And he said unto the rock, here now you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand with his rod. He smote the rock twice. Water came out abundantly and the congregation drank. And their beast also and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believe me not. To sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you should not bring this congregation to the land which I have given them. Because of his disobedience, Moses was disallowed to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. All of this ties into the Lord's table today. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross one time. That rock, it was intended to be smitten one time. To provide life-flowing water uh, into the bodies of the Israelites. And then Jesus Christ died on the cross one time to provide a river of life to flow into every man, woman, and child that would accept Jesus Christ uh, as their Lord and Savior. It is that simple today. And yet there's still the rule of time that we have. The element of rule, I should say, that we have. Hebrews 10.10 tells us, by which, uh, we'll be, by which will we, be, we are sanctified through the offering of his body of Jesus Christ once for all. Got a little ahead of myself earlier. Once and for all. So we understand, guys, the severity of partaking in the Lord's table. It's not to be partaken of uh, flippantly. Now, I understand that the Bible tells us as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you shall the Lord's death till it come. I understand that. And I understand that there's a multitude of, of local churches today who are accustomed to partaking in the Lord's table or communion every single Sunday morning. I understand that. And they're well within their right to do that. Okay? So I'm not judging them for doing it. I'm not judging a church for doing it once a year. I don't judge a church for doing it on an off day. If they want to do it on a Thursday and the whole congregation of the membership come together. I'm not judging that because it says off you eat this bread. I just know human nature. Amen? I know human nature that if whatever you do, if you do something, if I came and I preached the same sermon every single Sunday morning, you would turn into robots and you would know where we're going. It was like clockwork, clockwork, clockwork. And the sermon, the preaching, the teaching would lose its effectiveness in your life. And I see the Lord's table as being no different. When you do it, if you do it 52 times a year, you become ticking a box, ticking a box, ticking a box. And you begin to develop in people's mind the same thing that was taught by the Catholic institution, that you can live like you want to, Saturday night go to Mass, Saturday night go to confessional, and you've got a clean slate to start sinning over again. And that's the mindset they have. 
Well, I'll just go get with that man in a box and I'll confess my sins. I'll go partake in the communion and I'll confess my sins. It's a clean slate and I get to start over again. And my friend, God did not intend the Lord's table to be that way. He did not intend his house to be that way. So the broken bread is a symbol, a memorial, if you will. Not literal flesh of the Savior. He was smitten once for our sins and only once. But there is an element of rule that is associated with it that we only have this time in our life while our heart is beating to show our Savior's death. So not only is there an element of rule, beloved, but we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 9, and I want you to see this. There's an environment of readiness when we partake in the Lord's table. Now, what do I mean by that? This is where we take a little bit of a different turn where we normally uh, do the Lord's table here uh, at our church. In Matthew chapter 9, and looking again at our, our text verses, 37 and 38, then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his, his harvest. Now, I'd already mentioned before about how oft that you eat this bread and drink this cup, that we understand that. But we need to take on board an environment of readiness to witness the glorious gospel. When we're coming, again, guys, and I know I'm, 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 I'm beating a drum because after nine years of me preaching the Lord's table six times a year, uh, you guys should understand it by now what it does. The only two ordinances given to the local church is baptism, which is done one time after a soul is saved. That's a picture of the Lord's burial and a picture of his resurrection. The only other ordinance that is given is what? What we're partaking today, the Lord's table, and that shows his death, yeah? Well, what is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? That is the gospel. That is the gospel. So when we come in here and we partake of the Lord's table, it should speak to our heart, an engagement, if you will, uh, environment of our mind of readiness, okay? Of readiness. 1 Peter in chapter 3 and verse 15 tells us, uh, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Hey, listen, he's the Lord of the harvest, is he not? It's his harvest that is about to happen. When he steps off of that, off of that throne and he descends from, uh, um, from heaven with a shout and he tells that bride to come up hither. Listen, guys, we should be ready for that. But we should be ready to witness the gospel to every soul that we come into contact with for this particular reason. The same thing of that element of rule, it ties into the environment of readiness because we have this opportunity in this life to witness Jesus Christ. And the only thing that you can ever take with you today to heaven are the souls that you win to him in salvation. That's it. You're not taking your riches, your clothing. You're not taking anything, but you can take souls with you. It's his harvest, guys. Isaiah in chapter uh, 53 tells us in verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. John chapter 12 and verse 32 and 33, Jesus said, And if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Again, we're showing his death today. There's so many prophecies that were fulfilled on Calvary. As a matter of fact, uh, nearly 30 prophecies were fulfilled just on the day Jesus Christ was crucified. And yet we stand here this morning, ready to show his death through this ordinance that he's given us. Understand it that we need to be ready for the harvest today. When I speak of the harvest, guys, there should be an environment of readiness in your mind. There is an element of rule for the Lord's table. We're only going to get to do it on this side of glory. 
But lastly this morning, what I want to provoke you unto good works, if you will, is an expectation of his return. May I ask you this question honestly, and you answered it with your own heart today? When is the last time you honestly consider Jesus Christ could come back right now? The last time you thought about it. I understand when, when things aren't going so great and uh, you're having some problems, you and the spouse are arguing and fighting and kicking about, or there's just some issues with finances. And I understand when there's some problems, you're like, my goodness, I just wish the Lord would come back and get me out of here. That's not an expectation of his return. You know what that is? That's you seeking relief from your own personal circumstances, of which he's already given you instructions on how to do that with joy. When's the last time you honestly thought, Lord can come back right now. Be careful before you answer that. For every one prophecy of Christ's first coming, there are eight of his second. It was John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We were promised that the Savior was going to come, and he came. But we're promised eight times over that he's coming back. Why is there not an expectation of his return. My friend, I'm telling you right now, if you look in the mirror and you evaluate your life of where you are, how faithful, how committed, how dedicated, how sincere you are, how compassionate you are, how much you love others, how kind you are to others, that's going to answer your question as to whether or not you truly have an expectation of his return. We've preached it for so long and people have falsely named dates for so often and so many times that that typically people become callous to the fact of his return. And beloved, I'm here telling you right now, from the moment that I got saved and started to learn and understand about the rapture of the church and the catching away of his bride, I can tell you there's probably, I can probably count on all my hands and my, uh, or my, my fingers and toes how many days over the last 30 plus years that I haven't looked to see he's coming back that day. You say, why are you looking forward to it? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Are you kidding me? I'm looking forward to it. But I stress the point. I stress the point about the harvest. You see, when I talk about the harvest, we have, in in a harvest, in any type of harvest, you have the first fruits, okay? That's the first crop that comes through. If we were to talk about hay, those that grow and cut hay, the, the first fruits, you know, the first cutting of the hay, most farmers will sell that one off, okay? Now, it's good. It's good hay. Very, very healthy, very nutrient, but it's not a load of it. It's not a real big harvest. And then there's the second cutting of hay, and that big second cutting, that's the big one. If all the weather's right and all the timing is right and everything does well, that second cutting, oh, it's two or three times the amount of hay that was produced in the first one. It's a large, large uh, bounty, if you will. And then, of course, there's the gleanings. What is that? Well, that's the hay that's left over on the ground. Animals come through and pick through it. People can go and gather it up here and there. That's called the gleanings. Well, beloved, when we talk about the harvest, we talk about the harvest today. The harvest is in the middle part of the resurrection. Jesus Christ is the first fruits. He rose from the grave. Amen. He had to die, and that's what we're showing today, in order for him to be buried. And then after that, in an undetermined amount of time, is known as what we call the harvest. 
We see it in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. That is, those who have, who have died in the salvation of Jesus Christ. Born-again believers who have, who have died in the church age. They shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And in verse 18, watch this. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That kind of that rules out the, uh, the post-tribulational uh, rapture of the church now, doesn't it? Because I can guarantee you this right now. If we had to go through the tribulation, ain't no comfort in that right there. Amen? That kind of rules out the second advent of the Lord being this right here because that's when he places his foot on Mount, on Mount Olive and uh, he comes back and he destroys the Antichrist and all of those people with the brightness of his coming or the sword of his mouth, which is the word of God. That's what happens then. There ain't no comfort in that before the bride of Christ. There's a harvest, my friend. There's a harvest. And that right there is what he taught. Comfort one another these words. Things are going to be bad on the earth. They're going to be dark. Yeah, they're going to be problematic. They're also going to be joyful. I'm not one of those guys that adhere to the fact that the more miserable you are, the more spiritual you are. That doesn't line up with Scripture, amen? Paul said, rejoice evermore. And again, I say rejoice. How are you going to tell somebody to rejoice? How are you going to tell a church over 16 times to have joy or rejoice, amen, in one book made up of four chapters? How are you going to say that if it's not possible? But I am telling you this. We have something to look forward to. We have something to look forward to because today we're showing something that we're looking back at. And that's the death of Jesus Christ. That death of Jesus Christ is what brings forth the harvest of the bride of Christ. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not to be looked upon as if it is just a ritual. It is a moment that we come together today to show his death till he comes. Till the harvest time. And I want to make this point before we go into the Lord's table. I've already said it a couple of times. I'll say it this last time. The harvest is truly plenteous, as the Lord said. The laborers are few. The only thing that you and I get to take with us from earth to heaven are the souls of men, women, and children that we've shared the gospel with. We talk about missions and the sharing of gospel and the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. Missions is the heartbeat of our Lord, but they're in our hands. If Johnny across the street is going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is to hear it from us. If your co-worker today is going to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he or she is going to have to hear it from you. If your son, your daughter, your grandmother, your grand, grandfather, your dad, your mom, your aunt, your uncle, whomever it may be that is in your circle, if they're going to hear the gospel, they are to hear it from you because you're not taking anything else to heaven except for the souls of men, women, and children. We're going to show his death here in a second. But there's a time limit on it. And that's the time when the bride of Christ is taken out of here never to return in an earthly fashion or in a humanly fashion. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with me. And we'll get into our Lord's table today, but I ask you not to be removed from the thought of the harvest, if you will. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he said, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, 
that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, The cup, this cup, <clears throat> is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as oft as ye drink it, remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Here's the key. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So here today, beloved, we always have an invitation, a time of prayer, before we partake in the Lord's table. First stipulation of the Lord's table is you must be saved, born again of the blood of Christ. If you're here this morning and you are not 100% sure that you are on your way to heaven, I'm going to tell you, refrain from partaking of the Lord's table. I'm not going to step down off the pulpit and take it from you. You've already received exactly, you hear the warning, okay? You just need to take heed. Number two, if you are saved and you're born again, you are freely able to partake in the Lord's table, but not without examining yourself. Examine your heart today. Take into that expectation of His return. Examine where you are. Examine what sins uh, have been in your life since the last time we partook in it. And just ask the Lord forgiveness. Confess your sins unto Him. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins, and we know that to be true. So at this time, guys, we're going to go ahead and bow our heads this morning, and uh, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. When you are finished praying, lift your head up for me, and that way I, I know that we can uh, continue on. So heads bowed, eyes closed. You pray when you're finished, just lift your head up.
this time, we're going to ask Brother Kelton to come forward, please. <clears throat> As you know, we are still using the combined containers uh, for the Lord's table, for the juice and the bread. And uh, so the way it's going to happen from now, from right this second, is um, Brother Kelton is going to distribute distribute the, um, the juice and the crackers. Once we come back together, I'm going to ask him to pray over it. Um, we'll obviously crack it open. I'll read verse 23, and uh, we'll take the bread together. Once we have taken that, I'll read verse 24. We'll take the juice together. I'll have a closing prayer, and then we'll have our closing hymn, and then go into the closure of our service. Amen? So, Brother Kelton, if you'll dist uh, distribute today the, uh, the juice and the bread, you feel free to open it once you collect it. Uh, you can do that, uh, but please wait until told to um, part to uh, partake. Verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, same night which was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take heed, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Church family, take of the bread today, symbolizing the broken body of Jesus Christ. And after the same manner also, he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Church family, take of the juice today, symbolizing the shed blood of Jesus Christ. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. 
Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. We pray that everything has been done pleasing to thy name. Lord, we lift up every soul that is here today as we come and we have showed your death until you come to take us away. Lord, we have obeyed you. Each one of us in here, I trust, has examined themselves and made confessions sure. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would not soon forget the confessions that have been made, the seeking of help that has been sought. And when we step forward today, that we would remember those words. We'd walk as close as we can to you until you come to take us, Father. Lord, we love you. We praise the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, which is lifted up above all names. And ask of you, Lord, to bless not only the rest of this service, but the rest of this day. Carry us forth into this week that we may bring glory, honor, and praise to your precious name. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Amen. We trust and pray today that the Lord has been good to you.